Hello, welcome to Bright Body Family Temple, where we talk about all things church and what it means to be the people of God before a watching world with me in the recording studio today are Conrad Hirschberger. Hey there. Mark Russell. What up? Matt Rao. Hey. And uh, it's me, Eric Miller. Uh, so we're today, we are talking uh, about the idea of the church as temple, the church as temple. Now, um, this is an interesting one because when most people think about church uh and they say things like go to church or where is you know where is your church we are speaking about a building and a temple admittedly was uh that idea comes from the old testament uh was this actual uh brick and mortar and costly stone uh building uh that existed but the metaphor obviously in the new testament is not that the temple is is a place but a people. It's not a. It's not a building, um, but it's individual people uh, that have been bought by the blood of Christ, that believe in Jesus. Is that we are now uh, the place where the Spirit of God dwells. And this is also another big idea. Uh, if you're familiar with the Old Testament idea of the temple, is that this was the place where God's Spirit dwelt in the Old Testament, is that ever since the fall, God has been looking to dwell with humanity, to be to be with them. Um, sin has separated us from his holiness. Uh, he has made a way, he's always made provision for that in some measure. Um, and now ultimately, uh, through sending his son um, to be the sacrifice, substitute, propitiation for our sins, uh, that now we've we've entered this new covenant. Jesus has ascended on high through the clouds, uh, sat down at the right hand of the Father on high, and has poured out the Holy Spirit, which is the primary differentiator between the old and new covenant. Um, I want to say primary, I mean the primary effect is that we now have the Holy Spirit so that the new covenant was brought about because Jesus shed his blood, died on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day, but now the effect is that his people are marked by his presence in a way that they once were not, um, is that every single person who is trusted in Christ has been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. And so one of the images that the New Testament uses uh, is that we as the church are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Anybody, I, I should have maybe read some Bible first, but I, well, but I, did not. I mean, what a, just a phenomenal <laughs> summary of the, of the whole Bible there is excellent. There we go. Yeah, <laughs> I appreciate that. Let me actually quote some Bible. Maybe that would be there helpful we before we get into it. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, I'll start in verse 18. It says, Through him, him being Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So here we see this, you know, there's like a like a building structure image coming into place, foundation, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Then verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So that's probably one of the most succinct places that you see the idea of the church corporately, the corporate body of Christ also being referred to as a temple of the Holy Spirit. So again, 
Um, we are, when we gather as a church, this is why Sunday morning worship, at any time the church gathers, not just on Sunday mornings, but when we gather, it is it is unique that I believe the Bible teaches that the, the implication here is that when God's people come together, while yes, his spirit is always with us as individuals, he is with us in a unique way when we come together to gather um, to worship Jesus. Uh, any, any other thoughts on that, guys, before I keep rambling on here? Uh, maybe. I mean, you want me to jump in? I was just going to, part of the, just kind of as you were running, you were running through um, kind of the broad storyline, I guess, of the Bible. Because this really does, like this idea of God's presence with his people, it is. Um, it's uh, the thing. S- some will even argue, yeah, some will argue that it is, it's like the theme of the Bible, essentially, and everything else kind of, um, you know, contributors working towards this, this end goal of God, once again, dwelling with his people. And so I think you see that even like, that's what is established in the garden. It's lost because of, because of sin, which is, it's the issue with this, right? Like the, the problem is that God, he can't, he's not going to dwell. His presence is not going to be with a sinful people that are unholy and unclean. Um, and, and so then, you know, in a lot of ways, the rest of the Bible is just a development of this whole, this whole movement back to God being with his people. You have through like the patriarchs, he comes down, but then he goes away, comes down, goes away. And then, you know, the Exodus and he's in the cloud. And then you have the tabernacle and God's glory. It says fills that into the temple. Um, But it's all kind of pointing us towards this future reality. Um, It's a shadow of these things when God really is going to be with his people. And then we see, you know, Jesus comes down. One of the names for him is Emmanuel. It's God with us. That's uh, that, that's part of who he is and what he does. And then, of course, he sends a spirit that actually lives inside of us. And I think um, this kind of idea and just relating that back again to this idea of God's people being um, be, being holy. Paul brings that into this imagery a little bit in First Corinthians Um first in chapter three. And again, I, th- I think you mentioned this, it's kind of this idea of there's both a corporate aspect to this, but there's also an individual aspect to it. But, um, and, and I think he kind of speaks to both throughout the book, but in three, he says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And so again, it's this idea that, that through God's presence, the giving of a spirit, um, his people are going to be made holy. And, um, and that's, I think the point of the church is like, that's now who we are, uh, and are called to walk in that. But, but again, this, like, I think part of what's important in this is just not to miss the, like how massive this is in the Bible, right? Like this is, <laughs> it's, it's very it's, massive. And I think it, I, for me, one of the reasons it really matters is that I think it, robs us of some of our pragmatics okay so i think in the church we have so become efficient uh, especially in the western church like we've become efficient at self-help and if you if there's you see a need you meet a need and so we have we might have a program for everything um we might have a book that we'd be able to give for every scenario different things like that and at the heart of it, not not that you know there aren't practical things that we do, obviously, but at the heart of it, the the thing that people need 
is the very presence of God. And I think that there's also a part of that to our Western mind that seems uh, weird and mystical. And to our Western mind, I mean like being like children of the Enlightenment. This kind of gets into worldview that everything is just simply knowledge. Everything is just simply kind of like mental ascent and science. And if we can understand it and break it down, like God is spirit. Okay, so this gets into some some deep waters, but it's not, they're not deep as if they're not necessary. Like this is at the very heart of everything. There is a, there is a being, the almighty, holy God, um, Trinity three in one, again, mystery right there that has always existed. Um, and the Bible's clear that God is spirit. Jesus became flesh in the incarnation. He put on flesh and, um, just going to, again, this idea of, of, uh, the tabernacle. The tabernacle was like pre-temple. So temple was, you know, first built by Solomon uh, in Jerusalem. You know, once, you know, there was Saul, David, then Solomon, his son. But before that, the, it was the tabernacle, which was just kind of, in layman's terms, just kind of a mobile version of the temple that uh, Moses and the Israelites took around with them and set it up according to God's instruction um, in the desert. But then, you know, in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh, that's Jesus, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And the word dwelt there is literally tabernacled. So again, it's this idea of God coming down. This is what the incarnation is, is that Jesus is this new tabernacle as well, where the he is, again, I don't want to say the place, he's the person, he's where we meet with God, okay? And in the same way now, he's ascended, he's poured out his spirit, we are his body, so Right, body, family, temple, you see these metaphors overlapping here. Um, but we are the place now where the world is to encounter his presence is in his people. Okay, so now, now that all this, it's not just like, oh, that sounds very like artsy and mystical. Th- this, is, this is the real deal. This is, this is what we are. Like people, in, at the end of the day, when people come to Mercy Hill Church, um, what we're wanting is not just to give them a list of things to do or some principles to live by, although, yes, there is there is that. What we want is for people to encounter the presence of the living God, and this is what changes our lives. I would argue nobody is born again apart from encountering the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit in their life. It, this goes right to the heart of salvation, that salvation is not just mental ascent. It's not just something of the enlightenment, something that we, you know, we think rightly about. It's not scientific. It is supernatural. I'm really rambling on here, but but again, but this th- this idea is like people are to encounter the presence of God in our presence when they come to meet with us through His love and the power of the Spirit. Let me read one other passage here, and then I'll stop rambling. You guys jump back in doesn't use temple language or the exact word temple or tabernacle but it's it's literally the same idea and it's easy to hear first peter chapter two he says as you come to him being jesus a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of god chosen chosen and precious you yourselves and again listen to this unique language you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here you see Peter mixing several things, is that 
who would serve primarily in the Old Testament temple? The priests. Well, he says here, we're, we're like this, we're like this house, and we're also like living stones that make up the house. We're also a holy priesthood. So again, it's admittedly mixed metaphors, but, but these metaphors have teeth. These metaphors are powerful. And when we understand them, it, it gives us direction for, well, and really this is the whole point of the whole podcast is like, this is what our, this, the, this is the foundation of our ecclesiology or what at least our ecclesiology should be, um, what the Bible teaches about who we are as a local church. Okay. That's good. Well, just to come back to, as you were talking about, just the question of like, why does it matter? Right. Um, and, and part of that being that, uh, the church now is in, in some ways and since it's, it's, it's the way that people access to God, that they come into presence with God because it's where he dwells. And I think, um, like that's not just a, I don't think like a theological connection or jump we're making. I think, I think Jesus himself had that in view. You think about, um, you know, in the book of Matthew, I think it is where he talks about, uh, it's not just at the beginning of Matthew where Jesus comes down and now, you know, the Emmanuel is here. God is with us. He, he talks about his ongoing presence with his people. Uh, one of them is, is the verse that I think it, you know, a lot of us know it's very popular where two or three are gathered. And, um, I, I do think that's, it is, it is talking individually a little bit, but it's also, it's also corporate. Like I think he has in mind his, his church there. And he says, uh, where they are gathered, I'll be with them also. And then even, so, and this might be more connected to your point and kind of the idea of like the way that the church functions now in this world, but even, even at the very end of Matthew, um, in his great commissioning of the church now to go out and make disciples and baptize them and teach them everything that he's commanded them. At the very end of that, he says, uh, behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Yeah. And so even there, again, it's this idea side by side, like the Lord is going to be with them, uh, even in their function to now go out into the world and, and, you know, ultimately bring them in, into this life, into discipleship where they're now part of God's people, you know, growing, maturing discipleship and everything. And, uh, but ultimately it's, it's still related to the fact that Jesus is with them in this. And I think, um, you know, that's ultimately, like we've said, it's, it's by the sending of his spirit, which, uh, is probably more clear, like in, in John's gospel or even acts, um, too, as we see this actually like play out in, in the early church. But, um, but those things are very much, very much connected all throughout scripture and it, they, they can't, they can't be separated. I well, think even part think, of the point. think about the actual um, Old Testament temple that was standing when Jesus uh, died. The moment that he gives up his spirit and cries out, it is finished. The, uh, the, the curtain in the temple that separated the holy place from the most holy place is ripped in two. So again, the Old Testament temple being where God's spirit dwelt, primarily what you had, uh, or one way to think about the Old Testament um, uh, faith was that it was a come and see faith. Like people would make their journey to Jerusalem. The moment that Jesus dies, and again, is and the, the Holy of Holies is where the, the curtain separated the holy place from the most holy place, which is where the Ark of the Covenant was, which is where God's Spirit dwelt. But it's ripped 
in, in two is that now it's yeah, not just that we have access to the presence of God, but it's that the presence of God is now coming out. The Spirit's coming yeah. out. This is what you see on the day of Pentecost is that the Spirit is poured out. Woof, rushing mighty wind. How'd you like that sound effect? That's good. Yeah, was Oof, rushing mighty wind. That was Boom. not from the Flames soundboard, by the yeah, way. That yeah, was live. Right. That, that was live. Live in person. Yeah, you are welcome. <laughs> um, but it's, it's coming out. So it moves from a come and see religion to a go and tell religion. That's good. Um, and so it's, and, and again, we, how's it going out? Through his people. We are the people. And so, yes, individually, temples of the Holy Spirit, but also this is why we're big believers in uh, churches and church planting, that all mission needs to ultimately come back to the church for sake of discipleship and the church being established throughout all the earth. I would argue that this is ultimately what missions is. It's not just evangelism. It's the establishing, planting, continuance of the local church. Um, because the church is the thing that Christ is building, and it's where His presence dwells um, in this in this age until He uh, comes back. I think another thing too, honestly, is just like in terms of significance of this and like why it matters is is just to not miss like this moment that we find ourselves in and in in redemption that on one hand like everything we've talked about in the anticipation of this and everything is it is future looking and like there's going to be a day where um god's people live perfectly in his presence and that is um that that's the reality like we look at the end of revelation and it's god once again dwells with his people there's no temple there any longer because he's with us perfectly but but even right now we find ourselves in in that reality too like not perfectly but it is here it's come down and um and in a sense we've already been ushered into this this eternal life and eternal reality of life yeah. with god and so it's it's um and again like i know that you know that that idea kind of we use the language of like already not yet it relates to a lot of different realities about about the Christian life and everything, but this is another one of them. And it gets really hard and complex sometimes to like understand and figure out how we function in that. But it's, but it's true. It is, it, it's no, it's no small thing. Like it is a present reality of this, of this future. Yep. This life present age. Have, yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. As, as we're talking about this and, um, and, 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 and all these things, I was just, I was just really thinking about, um, Back uh, when I was really young, uh, my grandfather was uh, semi-retired. He was a contractor, and he did a lot of a lot of carpentry. And uh, he would get hired out, um, even though he was like in his seventies, eighties. He would he would just renovate these homes. And there was one home up in Holmesville that uh, where I was raised at that he was renovating. And you know he would just go in and and just really start working on the house itself. In a lot of ways. Um, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives and is renovating our lives. And so, like, it, it is a, everybody's seeing it happen before they're, before the, you know, somebody that knows me 20 years ago, I'm different now because the Holy Spirit's alive in me and renovating my life from the inside out. Um, I just, I, I don't know, as I was thinking through that, what, what does that look like to be the temple of the Holy Spirit? Um, to me, that that's really what, it, it hashes out in my own life as he's dwelling inside me. He's doing something. He's renovating me uh, to make me different. Yeah, and that's on the personal level or the individual level, which is which is true. Our bodies are temple are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And then you just take that. I don't want to say up a notch, but like just think about it corporately. Is that that should be happening in every person's life? 
And let, let me read some more verses here from Acts 2. Again, this is what I would argue this is part of what it looks like when God is dwelling among his people. And there's there's some important um, detail here. This is probably a fairly well-known verse. This is Acts chapter 2. After Peter preaches a sermon on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people get saved and are added to the church. And then uh, Luke gives this uh, brief description of the early church. He says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. So you, you want some practical stuff. You know, what's all this mystical talk about the Spirit and His presence dwelling in us? Well, here's some real tangible, tangible things. But then verse 43, and it says, Awe. A-W-E, awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." And one of the main things I just want to point out here is in verse 43, you know, people get caught up in like the, the signs and the, and the wonders. And there's that whole debate is, you know, does God still do that stuff today? And I, you know, I think God can do anything whenever he wants, however he wants, he's sovereign and he's the same yesterday, today and forever. Um, but this idea of awe, um, like when God's spirit (coughs) comes upon us and when God's spirit would show up, um, in power at any point in the Bible, this is what it ultimately brings about, is a sense of awe and wonder and marvel at the goodness of God. And I think that uh, it's something that you can truly sense in a people. Um, I think it's something that needs, I, I think people do sense it among us uh, at Mercy Hill. I'm always like, I want it to be ever increasing. I think that probably just speaking really personally and really practically and contextually for our context i'm always afraid that we slide into the ditch of just mental assent and just living only with our minds and just with principles and and pragmatics um and again it's not that we don't take we're not that we don't do our best to practically align ourselves with god's word but at the end of the day our like what we need <laughs> is the presence of god it's this this thing that changes us, that that softens our hearts. I mean, how, you know, we've shared a little bit um, briefly, you know, each one of our, uh, no, we haven't like straight up shared our testimonies, but like each one of us kind of grew up in church in different ways. And there's there's a way to just go to church and to be with God's people and just do it in a perfunctory way that doesn't change you. But then you also, we've also gone to church and we've been in, you know, certain uh, services and meetings or been around God's people, maybe in, you know, just Bible studies or discipleship or whatever, where we've encountered the presence of God in a way that changes us. And it's not just new information, but it's that there's something uh, of life there. And there's a, I don't know, this is a, I forget who the guy's name is. If anybody knows, you get a bonus point here. I'll, (laughs) I'll give you a candy bar later or something. (laughs) <laughs> but it's the guy that started Young Life. You guys familiar? You guys familiar with the organization Young Life? Yeah. I can't think of the guy's name right now. But um, he had this uh, this little saying or kind of motto or whatever um, that he believed it was a sin to bore a teenager with the Bible. And 
And I think that a lot of people, when they hear that, um, inst- they hear, yeah, it's a sin to bore them. And so we think, oh, we got to entertain them to death. And I don't think that's what he was he was talking about. I think a lot of ministry nowadays has been bent towards that. It's like, yeah, we don't want to bore people, so we're just going to entertain them to death. You know, and so we, you know, the stunts and, you know, the pastors coming out of the balconies on a zip cord and, you know, I don't know, dirt bikes, you know, ramping <laughs> in, in the sanctuary. I mean, what else? I mean, these are all real things. Elephants on stage. Have you seen that one? Have you seen that clip? Anyway, it's a... Never mind. Um, we got, hey, we got chickens on our stage. Yeah, so we yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh man, now we, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll explain that later on. But um, but I so it's it's a sin to to bore a teenager with the Bible. Yeah, it he doesn't he's not talking about entertaining them, but I think he is talking about inspiring them or captivating them with awe, with with wonder. And I I don't know. For me, I think that um, this is something that is very it's 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 a it's kind of a unique moving elusive metric but it's something that like for me i'm always kind of asking like is god's presence among us in a real way all well, that well was it, exci- it was it exciting i mean you know like you know growing up in a, a church that's more dogmatic um and legalistic in a lot of ways church was boring because people were boring because it was just like ah here we go we're gonna do our thing no one's really excited about talking about God. No one's talking about Jesus in a in a relational manner. They are more or less. Um, they get excited about the Browns game. They get excited about going to softball after after church that they get to play. But the excitement about Jesus just wasn't there a lot of times. Right, and the, and that's, and again, my point just simply being that it's what we don't want to do is be excited just because I, I think we hey good morning guys like. You ready to go this morning? You know, it's like yeah. it's like. A, well, uh, no, I'm not actually. Like, there's a superficial way sure. to inspire this, and that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the real presence of God that is that is both exciting, but also, I don't know, humbling and um, and life changing. I, I think part of it, honestly, is we is we just don't understand the context of it, which is again, it is it's the problem with sin that we all have like that is the reason that god takes his presence away from people that's the reason for so long that he wasn't with his people and again it all it it all comes back to to salvation this fact that we've not only been given um a clean slate by the work of christ but but we've been given the deposit of the spirit who really does make us he, he doesn't just wipe away our debt. He actually makes us into something completely new. Um, but we just, you know, and that would be, I think as I, I'll just speak personally in my life, looking back, the reason that I, um, would fail to be excited about this idea that we're talking about is because I, I have failed to really understand that context of it. Um, that, that the Lord really has had to do a massive work to save me from sin and actually make this possible. Um, and I just think that I, I don't think we're, I don't think we're good at understanding that. I don't think we're good at remembering that even in our churches, like it's, we, um, on one hand, like I think articulate the gospel well, kind of, uh, but, but also not really like it. We, we have, uh, we have this, this kind of underlying sense of just being, be, 
being pretty good people and um and the idea is i think oftentimes more so like why would god not want to dwell with us instead of why would he and oh wow he's he's done everything so that he can um so i yeah i mean i think that's a at least looking back in my life in the context of where i've grown up and i think it's true for a lot of people too and probably probably a lot of us here in this area as well with just just the some of the culture and christianity that we know yeah, just the perfunctory going through the motions um, Sunday morning. I, um, you know, there's another idea in the Old Testament. There's, there's actually quite a bit about the temple and the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Again, there's just a few places in the New Testament where we're referred to as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I think what the Bible wants you to do is think through those Old Testament ideas and bring them into the New Testament idea that sure. it's not a place, yep. but it's a people. But one of the things is with the way that you would approach the Old Testament temple was, again, people even back then did this in a very perfunctory way. I mean, at one point, you know, it was in the book of Amos. I think it was the prophet Amos who, you know, God says through him, you know, take away from me, you know, the noise of your festivals and take away from me the stench of your sacrifices and things like that because they were just going through the motions. However, the point is you were supposed to approach the temple, God's presence, with some intentionality with some reverence with some awe you know outside you always you were offering a sacrifice there's a there was a big bronze laver outside you know that signified you know washing yourself and uh, because you were approaching holiness and i think we are supposed to carry some of those things not in just to the way we come to a building on sunday morning but some of that intentionality with the way that we approach each other in our relationships and the way that we care for one another the way that we uh, lay down our lives for one another. Again, this uh, Romans 12, you know, that we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual act of worship that, um, you know, there's a lot of temple language in that too, that we're to be continually worshiping in the way that we serve one another, um, not just in the way that we, uh, in the way that we go, go vertical. Um, and I think that, uh, I don't know, while it's a very non-measurable metric, I, the thing that I want everybody just to get as we talk about this is I want you to think about your life and I want you to think about our church, the church that you attend, and think about the idea of awe. And um, if one of the things that uh, that draws you there is that truly God's presence uh, is, uh, is dwelling among you. There's one other passage in um, Acts chapter 4 that I want to read again, just kind of another practical one here. It says, now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to them was their own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Um, and there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands and houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each one as he had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostle by the the apostles, uh, the apostles uh, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And so again, it's a very similar passage to the one that I read earlier in Acts chapter two. That everybody's encouraged. Everybody holds everything in common. They're they're giving away what what they have. And, and again, the point here is that when we're inspired by the presence of God. Um, 
we're actually willing to let go of everything else. And I think that this is the thing that we, is what I want to say earlier in that passage in Acts 2, is like sometimes we aim for like, hey, guys, let's eat together. Hey, guys, let's let's learn some things together. It's teaching. Hey, guys, let's get together and let's fellowship together. Hey, guys, let's give up what we have and give to the needy. You're, you're missing the point. The point was those were all byproducts of the awe of the presence of God. And, um, and again, I think this is where, is, all I'm saying again is that just that this is where we miss it. We aim for, well, what did they do? What did they do? What did they do? No, what was captivating their hearts? Um, and it was, it was the very presence of God. I think out of that then, I love that uh, most people are familiar with um, Barnabas because, um, you know, Paul and Barnabas and on their missionary journeys. But his real name was Joseph. I like that Barnabas was his nickname. <laughs> uh, I, I, this is actually, we should maybe do a sermon series on this sometime. It'd be a really weird sermon series, but kind of cool is we should do a thing on nicknames in the Bible. Um, you had Barnabas, which was a nickname. You had uh, uh, the Sons of Thunder. James and John. I mean, think of yeah. Which is uh, I, that's actually the nickname I would like <laughs> is uh, Son of Thunder. Um, but here, Barnabas was his nickname, and and Barnabas literally just they called him that because Barnabas in their language meant son of encouragement. But here you have just one individual that um, you know was full of encouragement because again, why he was he was captivated. He was one life that was captivated by the presence of God. And I again, um, oh, my point being is that hey. Be an encourager. Encourage one another. Build other people. Like, yes, the like, we want to do that. But you've got to have a source of awe from the presence of God um, that inspires you to do these these things. That's good. I think that. I mean, that's those are some specific. I think that idea actually runs through a ton of the New Testament and and uh, the kind of the press and exhortation towards the way the church should function, even in other specific things. I'm thinking about um, even just the book of Romans and a lot of that stuff through um, once you get into chapter 12, the very practical, like what is, what is this gospel that Paul spent so much time um, explaining? What does it actually look like now in the life of God's people? And a lot of that is just, it's first grounded on the fact that um, there is, there's peace with God. There's reconciliation, this reality that God, uh, really is with his people again and then you know what does that look like like when we live in harmony with one another we build each other like all these things but it but you're 100 right there's there's and i know I, I we've we've said this probably a few times already but there's there's always order in these things um it is first understanding and seeing the reality of what god has done and um and the significance of it and then letting that inform the way that we function not just in our relationship with with god but also a hundred percent with each other and um that's good yeah, yeah. That's, that's really good i i think you know so many times in our culture uh we would we see the god moving through this because of what he's doing in doing in people's hearts and then like somebody says oh look well they didn't have any any issues as far as material positions they, they were they were sharing it uh Look how God did this. We need to market this somehow. We need to write this in a book to make this try to ha- make this happen on in the in the natural side of things. And once again, this is this is coming straight out of what God's doing in our own hearts. And then this is this is coming out of that. And so many times we reverse that in our culture, especially we try to make things happen 
see God move in a specific way at a specific time, oh, we need to try to make that happen and manufacture that again. I think that this is also something um, that I think every preacher needs to get. Okay, People are not just hungry for teaching. They're not just hungry for information. Um, And pastors and leaders, they're not just hungry for programs. They're not just hungry for a bread line. They're not just hungry for uh, a group that they can get together with once a week. What people are hungry for is the very presence of God. And I think that the reason preachers, I say, especially need to know this is because you have to know this as you're preaching. Um, This is something, you know, with like our uh, interns uh, here and stuff uh, in the internship program at Mercy Hills, like, it's not just, like, if you're just going to stand up and get it, give information, then just stand up and, like, read a commentary or something. It's probably better than what you have to say, <laughs> than what you have to say anyway, but that's not, that's, that was a little bit harsh, but it's okay. like, but it's like, it, it's, that's not what it's about. It's about standing up as a broken, imperfect man in a moment to a group of broken, imperfect people filled with the Spirit, the presence of God, proclaiming the Word of God and what's true from the book in that moment in a way that you're hoping that they're not just going to get information, but that the presence of God, the presence of Jesus, is going to become manifest among us through that proclamation, the word of the Spirit being mingled together in a way that it that it changes people's lives. Um, I don't know. I know I've said pretty much the same thing through this, through the, <laughs> through the, through this yeah, whole thing, even, but I... Yeah, uh, I know we're... And I know we're... we're uh, starting to wrap up here but i think even that point is i think it's i think it works for everyone like all of life it's that's a that's a you know preaching is a specific task that it's 100 percent relevant but but that is that should be what everybody's life looks like is just wherever they're at whatever they've been called to gifted to that it would be it would be that exact thing not just um you know information or 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 the right things to do whatever it is but that it would come from a place of genuine uh i've heard people say just one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread and that idea and that we that we all function out of that in our own in our own context yep one more verse and we'll wrap up here uh jesus in his high priestly prayer in john or what's commonly referred to as his high priestly prayer in john 17 near the end he wraps it up with this request he says father i desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, so again, being with him in his presence, to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundation of the world. The reason he prays this request for them that they that we might be with him and that we might see his glory is because this is the idea of being in his presence, is to see his glory because this is the thing that is ultimately going to satisfy our souls and nothing else, nothing superficial or, or temporal that we can offer in this world. And we hope uh, that this episode has helped you to think about all things church and how, what it means to be the people of God before a watching world. And we pray that it, uh, it helps you to seek him and to be hungry for the right thing, which is his very presence. Mm-hmm.